you are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. I'm Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Monday to all of you. In case you didn't notice, the Seahawks won their fourth straight game yesterday, a 17-9 victory in Philadelphia. Not the prettiest of games, but the Seahawks have kind of made that a habit, winning games that are kind of ugly. That fits exactly what they want to do. And weather conditions weren't exactly ideal in this game either for offensive football. So Seahawks were able to get the victory, move to 9-2 and two on the season. I'll kick off today's festivities discussing Jaron Reed and Jadevian Clowney's injury situations and how Seattle's defensive line overcame their absences. In the second quarter, it's time for our Monday mailbag, and then I'll tie up loose ends in the third quarter with some offensive takeaways. Only 17 points, but some positives developing in this game in Philadelphia. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Seattle was missing two of its best pass rushers for a good portion of yesterday's game in Philadelphia. Jadevian Clowney didn't even dress due to a sore hip. He didn't practice at all this week, so I wasn't surprised that the Seahawks didn't play him this game. They were erring on the side of caution. Sounds like he's got a chance to return next week. John Schneider said they were very hopeful that he would play against the Vikings on Monday Night Football, but Given the fact that it was raining outside, they were playing in a grass field, he hadn't played, uh, practiced all week, a good decision probably to sit him. And then Jaron Reed exits at the end of the second quarter with an ankle injury, does not return after halftime. So you're thinking, that spells doom, right? Your two best interior, your best interior pass rusher, your best overall pass rusher, they're both out. Not exactly. Give Coach Clint Hurt a ton of credit in this game. Looking at the snap counts this morning, Eight different Seahawks defensive linemen rotated in for at least one-third of the defensive snaps yesterday, and there wasn't a noticeable drop-off regardless of who was in. Now, a little bit of a caveat here. Obviously, it helps the Eagles were missing Lane Johnson in this game. He was in concussion protocol, did not suit up. Brandon Brooks, one of their guards, exited the game as well. Anxiety-related issue, uh, illness, did not play the rest of the game. I do not care, though. This was one hell of a collective group effort by these guys in the trenches. I got to start off first with Ziggy Anza. I called him out on Friday's show. We've called him out a few times because this year has been a struggle for him. Has not been able to return to form. Former Pro Bowler. Sunday, he looked like the player that starred for the Detroit Lions. And Maybe it was a one-game mirage, but he just looked like a different cat out there against the Eagles. He really answered the call. He had a couple bull rushes against Jason Peters that you rarely see happen. And Jason Peters is a future Hall of Fame left tackle. Granted, he's not playing at 100% right now. He's missed some games due to injury. But that's a future Hall of Fame left tackle that does not get bull rushed like that. And Ziggy Anza bullied him in this game. One and a half sacks coming in the second quarter. Two quarterback hits. A forced fumble. Several other times he was back there pressuring Carson Wentz. Just a dominant effort from Anza. And they needed that with Jadevian Clowney not being able to play. He really stepped up when they needed him to. And now can they get Clowney back and Anza to play like he did on Sunday? Have both those guys getting after the quarterback? That's going to be a nightmare for opposing offenses if they can get some consistency from both those players together. Rasheem Green. Best game of his young NFL career yesterday. I was so impressed by his sack that he had on Carson Wentz because it looked like he was going to have just an outright tackle, just a normal sack, and he slipped 
on the grass. Ended up falling to his knees, but he keeps fighting while on his knees, punches the football out of Carson Wentz's hand, forces the fumble, has a tackle for loss later in the game against the run as well, had an outstanding effort, played over 60% of the snaps, so a very encouraging game for Ashim Green. Quentin Jefferson had a sack, a fumble recovery. That was I'm still thinking about how hysterical that was. Seeing him try to lateral forward past the football after recovering a fumble there. And that play was caused by Shaquem Griffin. And I can't say enough with how this kid played yesterday. You look at the stat sheet. One tackle, no quarterback hit. So if you just look at stats, you're thinking, well, he didn't do much. But if you watch the film, Shaquem Griffin was in the backfield constantly during his 25 snaps that he played against the Eagles. He's really carving a niche for himself right now. He's just so darn fast off the edge. And and I think the energy that he's bringing to the table right now, since they started playing him against the 49ers, that energy is contagious. It is rubbed off on the rest of this pass rush. And seeing him get into the backfield, he was so close to sacking Carson Wentz two or three different times. There was one, he almost got a safety, and Wentz had to bail to his left, and Griffin wasn't quite able to get him down. But just so much energy. He's playing so hard out there, an incredible motor. And and one thing that I was really encouraged by with Griffin in this game, when watching the 49ers game, it just seemed like he was just rushing straight up field, no pass rushing plan. He wasn't setting up his moves. You could see notable improvements in that regard in this football game. He was setting up his moves better. He actually split a double team in this game in pass protection too and got a pressure on Carson Wentz. And there were a couple stunts they ran with him that he was able to get into the backfield. He just looked more comfortable. He had a better plan for how to attack the opposing offensive lineman. Andre Dillard was having a really hard time getting in front of him because of the speed that he has off the edge. You just don't see many edge rushers with 4-3-8, 40-yard dash speed. And Griffin showed that yesterday on the field. He's going to continue to get a lot of snaps in pass rushing situations because he has just played so well the last two. And the play that Quentin Jefferson recovered a fumble on, that they called it an aborted snap, that's exactly what it was handoff got botched but Shaquem Griffin was going to blow that play up no matter what so I was honestly surprised they didn't credit him with a fumble there because he was right in the running back's grill when the handoff was being made there and it completely messed up their mesh point and to me he's the one that caused that play to happen so just a phenomenal game from him LJ Collier had no stats but going back and watching the film, had some really promising rushes. He brought energy off the edge. They even widened him out a couple times, and he was able to get a little bit of push. So I saw some 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 encouraging plays from him. Maybe he didn't put together any tackles or quarterback hits as I projected that he might this game, but he certainly played his best game that he's had so far. Gave a little bit of a boost rushing the passer. A nice job against the run as well. He had a quietly solid game for the Seahawks. Al Woods, Puna Ford in the middle, they were monsters constantly disrupting run plays. Not a lot of tackles between the two of them, but they made life really difficult on Philadelphia's running backs. Just blew up a bunch of those runs before they could get started, and then teammates fly in to make the play. K.J. Wright had 12 tackles. Michael Kendricks had 10. Part of the reason they had that many tackles is because that front line, the interior especially, those guys were making it really tough on running backs and allowing those linebackers to fly in there and make plays. So again, Clint Hurt, defensive line coach, deserves a ton of credit for that rotation, having so many guys rotating into the lineup for 
33% or more of their defensive snaps and contributing. Brandon Jackson, didn't even mention him, had a pass that he batted down. So everybody did something. Now it's just it was a phenomenal group effort, and they absolutely had to have that with Jadevian Clowney and Jaron Reed both being out. This, this really bodes well for their future because I would suspect, and we we got to wait and see for updates on Jaron Reed's ankle injury, see how severe that is. But I would suspect they're going to get both those players back with these other players. How well they played yesterday, if they can build off that, suddenly what looked like a flaw for this football team is going to become a strength potentially. And at the beginning of the year, people thought maybe this could be a really good group, and it just wasn't gelling. It wasn't coming together. Now the last two weeks, suddenly they're smacking quarterbacks left and right, generating pressure, creating fumbles, a really exciting development for the Seahawks' defense moving forward. After a short word from our sponsors, I'll be back to answer your mailbag questions. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back to Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Later in the show, I'll share some offensive observations from yesterday's 17-9 win in Philadelphia. But first, as always on Monday, you've got questions, and I'll try to dish out some answers on our mailbag segment. Let's rock and roll. First question coming from Genesis Rift, writing, Why wasn't Shaquem Griffin in this role in the first place? Well, that's a good question. I think going into the off-season workouts and training camp and stuff, with everything that was being said by Pete Carroll, Ken Norton Jr. and company, about what they were trying to do with Griffin, moving him back to the edge, having him playing Sam linebacker, my expectation was that he was going to get more opportunities early. I think what really set him back was the fact that he missed a good portion of the preseason with a knee injury. And there were some people that were speculating that he wasn't going to make the 53-man roster after that or he was going to start the year in injury reserve. The injury reserve idea had a little bit of traction because it just didn't seem like his knee was getting better. But he played in week one. He was ready to go. They just needed to give him a little time to rest up. But missing that time in the preseason prevented him from getting valuable snaps so they could get a look at him. And I think the entire first half of the regular season, he was trying to play catch-up mode in that regard. He wasn't going to get on the field based on what they had seen on practice and you know not having any game clips from the preseason. He just was behind. 
And as the pass rush continued to struggle those first eight games, they finally reached a point against the 49ers on Monday Night Football where in that game, Ziggy Anza was still struggling. They weren't getting any help for Clowney. And at that point, Pete Carroll and Ken Norton Jr. decided, what have we got to lose? Let's see what this kid can do out there. And he didn't have any stats, but again, he brought energy to the Seahawks defense, had a couple nice rushes, had one that he pressured Jimmy Garoppolo out to his left and forced him to throw the football away out of bounds. So he still did some positive things out there, and really the rest of the team just seemed to elevate their play on the snaps that he was in the lineup. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Seeing Shaquem Griffin out there, the adversity he's overcome, and seeing him out there playing NFL snaps, and he, he's not just a feel-good story. This is a really good football player. I, I think it inspires teammates. Like, if this guy's out here doing this, then I need to really step up my game. And so I do think that's a good question. I thought going into the season there was a chance Shaquem Griffin was going to get a lot of snaps right off the bat as a situational rusher because that's really where he excelled at the college level for UCF. That's what made him an All-American. He had 17 and a half sacks his last two years for the Knights. So this is a player that really knows how to get after the quarterback. That speed he's got off the edge, very few players possess that. Yes, he's undersized, but... He's got incredible amount of heart, and that motor that he brings to the table offsets that size in those pass-rushing situations. And I think as he continues to develop counter moves, he's a guy that could become quite a weapon for them on those second-and-long, third-and-long, two-minute drill opportunities when teams are just slinging the ball around the place. You can insert him in, and you know he's going to be able to play several snaps in a row and not wear down. He just an incredible motor. So, yes, a little disappointing. Maybe it took this long to get to this point, but at least the Seahawks actually gave him a chance. There were plenty of people out there that didn't think he was going to get any opportunities. I even was skeptical that they were going to get him into the lineup at this point just because of the way things had played out. But then they go out on that Monday night game. They give him a chance, and now it looks like he has carved out a role for himself moving forward. Mark writes, what do you think was behind the decision to play Akeem King in nickel instead of Ugo Amadi? I actually talked about this quite a bit last week on the podcast, uh, on our crossover show with the Eagles and Gino. One of the arguments that I made was less base defense and more nickel, and I actually liked the idea of playing big nickel with either Akeem King or Marquise Blair out there, and maybe Amadi would get some snaps as well, uh, depending on the situation. Amadi ended up playing zero defensive snaps. That really surprised me, but I was wasn't surprised that Akeem King played 26 snaps and he was the big nickel because of the opponent they were playing. The Eagles are ravaged by injuries at receiver. No Deshaun Jackson right now. Alshon Jeffrey didn't play in this game. Nelson Algalor did not play in this football game. So they were without three of their top receivers on the outside. Really the only weapons that they had. Greg Ward had a nice game, first game up from practice squad. He did some things yesterday, but they really had no weapons on the outside. And that meant they had to rely solely on their tight ends, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Those are their two best receivers that they have right now. And quite frankly, I just felt like going into this game, and apparently the Seahawks felt the same way, they would rather have Akeem King, a bigger-bodied corner, going up against Ertz and Goddard than one of their linebackers, Michael Kendricks or K.J. Wright. There were some plays where those guys were in coverage against those two tight ends, but using Akeem King in that role made a lot of sense. If you remember last year against Kansas City, he did a really nice job against Travis Kelsey. So he's done this before. The Seahawks felt this was a good matchup for him to get on the field, and Next week against Minnesota, a team that's got some really good receivers, we could see more of Ugo Amadi out there because of the matchup. I think they're going to play this week by week, and so it made sense against this opponent, considering their two best receivers were tight ends, 
to use a bigger player like Akeem King in that big nickel than Ugo Amadi. Philip tweets, thoughts on the punt return situation. Do you think Lockett should return to that role? I don't. And I think it's just not that I don't think Tyler Lockett can't be effective in that role anymore. I just, I'm going to be honest. I thought he looked like he wasn't quite 100% yesterday. He did not have the same burst I'm used to seeing out of Tyler Lockett. And I wouldn't be concerned about that considering his situation. The fact he was on the field and and able to run around surprised me uh, given how severe that injury looked to be in San Francisco. But uh, it didn't look like he had the same burst out there. And quite frankly, they just need to keep him fresh. He plays so many snaps on offense. I just think being his, being their number one receiver, they got to keep him healthy. And playing him on special teams at this point seems like that's going against that mission. So I actually thought David Moore looked pretty good back there. And even Travis Homer on a couple of the kick returns showed some good bursts. So they've got other guys that can do that. And kickoff, half the time they don't even get to return it anyway. Might as well put Travis Homer or David Moore, somebody like that back there. I really like David Moore as a punt returner because a lot of times your best punt returners are not the guys that have blazing track speed. They're guys that have incredible quickness and vision. And I think David Moore has that as a returner. He just hasn't had enough reps to really master that particular position. But I think he could be a really good punt returner. We've seen signs of that in preseason games in the past. And so I would like to see him be the one that takes those duties, especially considering he's not playing as much on offense now. With Josh Gordon being there, Malik Turner stepping up, he's not getting as many reps on offense. Gives him another role to be able to contribute that I think he can do a really good job at. Bryce41 writes, Felt like Josh Gordon was invisible yesterday. What are you seeing? I'm not seeing him being invisible. I think Russell Wilson was trying to get the football to him. Everybody has to remember, being in that stadium yesterday, I was constantly watching the flags at the top of the stadium, and the wind, sometimes the gusts were ridiculous out there. It was tough to throw the football, and you could see how it affected Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz. Looking at Josh Gordon, there were a couple times downfield that I think under normal circumstances, when there's not... 20, 30 mile an hour gusts out there wind-wise. I think Russell Wilson could have got the football to him. There was a play that he drew a pass interference that if he didn't get held, maybe he gets under that football. He had a big first down uh, conversion on a third down catch like he did in San Francisco twice. So he made a clutch reception for his one catch, had a couple really nice blocks, one of them out in front of Russell Wilson running the football on a big gain. So I saw a lot of encouraging things. I know people are going to look at the numbers and say he only had one catch not fitting into the offense. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing a guy that could take the top off a defense as early as next week. There were some opportunities in this game that I think if Russell Wilson looks at the film, he's going to be like, man, I missed that opportunity. And so I'm encouraged by what I see. I don't think he was invisible yesterday. He still only played, uh, I think he had 22 offensive snaps. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but still didn't play a ton of snaps. I anticipate he's going to get more opportunities in the Vikings game. And that means more chances for Russell Wilson to get the football to him. You can see that he wants to get the ball to him. It just didn't work out necessarily yesterday. A lot of it being the element, especially second half, not a lot of deep shots. Wilson took a few of them, but uh, didn't take as many as they did in the first half and difficult in those conditions to throw the ball downfield. Brent writes, being a former player and coach, what do you think about Lockett's comments about being too drugged up to remember the 49ers game? Yeah, this is the unfortunate truth that goes with playing professional football. I think a lot of fans, they view players as just fantasy players, and and they don't realize a lot of the stuff that goes into playing. And I, I never had to worry about this being, you know, when I played in high school, and you know, I've seen it with players when I've coached that have wanted to have 
painkillers and stuff, and I always tried to avoid stuff like that. But certainly this situation, it makes sense why he was given medication. If he had a severe leg contusion, there were worries about uh, compartment syndrome. At the same time, it's an unfortunate reality in this sport. And I, there are other things that potentially could be better better medical remedies, but unfortunately, I'm not going to dig into this really too much, but the NFL has banned some of those options and they don't seem like they're willing to make adjustments at this point. So, We'll see. Unfortunately, that's something that's been a stain on the sport, and uh, it's still going on. Players have to do a lot of crazy things to keep their bodies ready to go to play each week, and so that's an unfortunate reality into it, and that's really all I can say uh, for this particular question. KRI Sports tweets, How do you see the running back situation playing out down the stretch? I'd like to see a committee where Carson and Penny split the load. I think that's what you're going to see down the the stretch these last five games. I think Chris Carson's still going to get the majority of the snaps, the majority of the carries, but he has fumbled eight times now. That's the most since Adrian Peterson back in 2008. And that's not a good stat uh, to be joining Adrian Peterson on. There's a lot of things that you would love to be compared to Adrian Peterson on. That is not one of them. So the fumbles continue to be an issue. The ball security problems are an issue for Chris Carson. And with how well Rashad Penny played yesterday... Certainly that's going to open up more opportunities for him to get the football in his hands, just be on the field in general. And I think they need to do that anyway to keep Chris Carson fresh. There have been too many games lately where he's been playing 89, 90-plus percent of the offensive snaps. Running backs wear down quickly when they get those kind of workloads. So if they could go... 60-40 or 55-45 for the last five games with Carson and Penny, that's going to be a big difference maker for the playoffs. Penny's legs are fresh because he hasn't had a ton of carries this year. Let him be on the field. You saw yesterday, your run game can still be very successful with him back. They're just a different style runner. Chris Carson gets a little less workload. He goes into January ready to go full bore, and that's a big deal. If you have both these guys running at top gear in the playoffs – and Russell Wilson's playing the way he's played most of the season. This is an offense that nobody wants to face in January. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. Listening on the go? If you can't visit Away right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. Coming up after the break. Let's talk some offense. There wasn't much of it yesterday, but still plenty of positives to discuss. We'll be right back on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Seattle improved to 9-2 and on the season with a 17-9 victory over Philadelphia on Sunday. It was a game that never felt that close, but the reason that it was the Seahawks offensively just couldn't finish drives or capitalize on turnovers. I don't like to start with doom and gloom, especially after a victory. Although, if you're going to talk about the bad stuff, let's get it out of the way. Scoring three points off of five turnovers, that's gross. That's something that the Seahawks are going to be kicking themselves about when they go back and watch the film today because they had so many chances to tack on points. Like Russell Wilson said during his postgame press conference, 
it could have been 21 to 3 easily. They they missed a bunch of layups. Wilson missed a layup. An easy touchdown pass to Jacob Hollister and he sailed it over his head. Carson Wentz had a couple throws like that too. So, maybe it was the wind that just picked the football up. There were several throws like that in this football game, but they certainly missed some key opportunities where they could have really put this game away for good in the first half. The way the Eagles offense was playing, if they could have been up 21 to 3, it's game over. I mean, the Seahawks defense was just hounding them. There's no way they're going to get back in a game, and yet, going into the fourth quarter, it was 10 to 3. The Eagles were one touchdown away from tying the game. And a lot of that just goes down to the fact that the Seahawks just could not finish drive. They had so many of them that they started in ideal, excellent field position too. And they just couldn't finish the drive that really stood out to me in the second half. There's this hysterical sequence I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Quentin Jefferson recovers a fumble. It's a botched handoff from Wentz to Miles Sanders. Shaquem Griffin was there ready to blow that play up from the get-go. Ball's on the ground, Quinton Jefferson recovers it, and he starts running with it. The big fella is rumbling, and then he he tries to lateral it. It's actually a forward pass, bounces off his teammate's hand, ball's on the turf. Shaquem Griffin, running from the other side of the field, picks up the ball and runs it back to the five-yard line. Ball ends up going back to the 32 because Jefferson was down before he actually pitched the football, so they couldn't actually call a penalty on him there. Seahawks have the ball at the Philadelphia 32-yard line to start. You should score minimum three points. In a situation like that, you have to be disappointed if you don't get a touchdown. And yet, they start off the drive with a false start in the first play. Then after the false start, they get a delay of game. Now it's first and 20, and you're at the 42-yard line near midfield instead of the 32. That is not how you start off any drive, let alone one where you are gifted that kind of field position by your defense. And then a couple plays later on third down, Joey Hunt gets flagged for tripping play would have probably put Seattle in position for a Jason Myers field goal and then they get pushed back even further by that penalty it's now third and 25 Wilson ends up getting picked off on the next play he tries to thread the needle on a throw to David Moore pass gets deflected so now Philadelphia has the football Seattle gets no points out of that possession you can't do that against really good teams those are the type of drives that end up costing you games you have to get at least three points there then of course there's the missed touchdown to DK Metcalf at the end of the first half that was a really strange play because Metcalf was having trouble adjusting the football it looked like maybe the wind caught the football at the last second and and ended up pushing it away from Metcalf and so he wasn't able to bring it in but still that's a pass that DK Metcalf has to reel in He's a downfield threat. you got to make that play. So they missed out on points there as well. Ended up punting it away instead of getting seven points. So they just left so many points in the field. And then, of course, you've got the six sacks they gave up. And this was a mixed bag. Some of them were on Russell Wilson. Some of them on the offensive line. He had one that Rashad Penny. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was missing an assignment in pass pro or if it was one of those where he stepped up for a second and then went into a route and then Russell Wilson just didn't get the ball to him. It was just an ugly play from the start. So everybody was a culprit in those issues. But give Philadelphia credit as well. That's a really good defense, and they were able to get pressure on Russell Wilson throughout the afternoon. Not exactly an MVP performance for Wilson. Wasn't bad, but not MVP caliber. 200 passing yards, a touchdown, an interception. Respectable, 
Nothing flashy number-wise, and again, the elements played a factor too, but certainly not a game that's going to help his cause against Lamar Jackson, who now looks to be the front-runner to win MVP. Now let's get to the positives here, because there were plenty of them. I have to start with Rashad Penny, former first-round pick that has really struggled, had 167 rushing yards during the first seven games of the season this year, 36 carries. He was barely getting used. He only had 14 snaps the last two games. So he was frustrated. He's not been oblivious to the criticism surrounding him. And for him to go out yesterday and take advantage of the opportunity given to him, he played 45% of the offensive snaps yesterday, 129 rushing yards, a career high for a shot penny, incredible burst, finishing runs with authority. Although I got to wonder what Ronald Darby was doing at the end of that 58 yard touchdown run. If that's a tackle attempt, that's a pretty pathetic tackle attempt. I think even Rashad Penny could look back and be like, yeah, I couldn't even land my stiff arm on him because the tackle attempt was so bad. He just ended up bouncing off Penny and then he goes in the end zone. Really explosive. That's, he just, he just looks faster. And talking to him after the game, he was talking about, you know, having a new nutritional plan. He's got a nutritionist that he hired. No more McDonald's. No more Little Caesars. I'm depressed hearing that from him. That stinks. I ended up after the game getting some Little Caesars myself. Sorry, Rashad. Uh, but. Those are the type of things professional athletes have to do. And a lot of times, rookies struggle with that when they come into the league. It's not abnormal. Just look at Shaquille Griffin. He even had to change up his diet before his third season here. Players have to figure that stuff out. You can get away with it in college, NFL. You better be uh, extremely cognizant of what you are eating and putting in your body to fuel it because you can't get away with that stuff. And that's not they never eat crap because I'm sure they eat some fast food occasionally, but most of the time these guys are eating lean meats and they're really strict with their diets and that's why they're able to be successful on the football field. Rashad Penny just looks different out there and so that's a big deal for the Seahawks getting a big game from him. Now, can he carry that over to next week against the Vikings and moving forward we'll just have to wait and see consistency has been an issue for him but certainly a huge game for him making guys miss in space and then showing that second gear that he has that that quite frankly Chris Carson does not have that is the big difference there Carson obviously can just bowl through people Rashad Penny not necessarily that style running back but when he gets to that second level and he can turn on the afterburners he has home run ability, and that's something Chris Carson just doesn't have. He doesn't have that extra gear, that turbo mode on Madden. He just doesn't have it. Penny does. At the receiver position, I have to outline Malik Turner here. I've talked about him a lot the last few weeks because it just seems like he makes something good happen anytime that he's on the field. He still doesn't get a lot of reps, and you got to look at who's in front of him. Tyler Lockett, Metcalf, they just brought in Josh Gordon, David Moore still there. There's only so many reps to go around, and there's one football on the field. So he got two targets yesterday. One of them didn't catch, but the second one, early in the game, first touchdown of the game, a beautiful flea flicker, one heck of a throw from Russell Wilson into the wind, able to drop it into the bucket, and Turner splits double coverage downfield, catches the ball at the end of the end zone. And so uh, the Seahawks end up going up 7-3, to a fantastic play, great design. I love the aggressiveness, and really we haven't seen trick plays out of the Seahawks this year. It was nice to see them bust something out of their bag of tricks there and ended up scoring a touchdown. But Malik Turner just continues to impress me. Big play ability. I've seen him breaking a lot of – he hasn't really been breaking tackles, but he's been producing a lot of yards after the catch this year. He's a guy that can make defenders miss in space. He's really athletic, a savvy route runner, and he's come up with some really clever –
clutch plays for them this year. He's continuing to carve out a bigger role for himself, even with the new additions at receiver. He's getting more opportunities. He plays special teams as well. This is the kind of guy Pete Carroll and John Schneider just have a knack for finding an undrafted free agent that comes in and ends up excelling. Good for Malik Turner. Glad to see him having a lot of success out there. Great blocking up front. Uh, This is a run defense. And going back to Rashad Penny for a second, this is a run defense, Philadelphia, that ranked fourth in the NFL in rushing yards given up per game. They were one of the best in the NFL. And Seattle didn't have a ton of success running between the tackles, but Rashad Penny gave them a little bit different look, and the Eagles had trouble with that. That extra burst, outside runs, they just weren't able to slow those down. So give a lot of credit to the linemen. That 58-yard touchdown run by Penny. Mike Upati is trapping a trap block across. Really nice job cleaning out the defender. Joey Hunt down blocks. DJ Fluker reaches. Jermaine Effetti reaches his guy. Jacob Hollister has a nice little block that springs Penny. And then there's nothing but green in front of him. And he explodes towards the end zone. So just a great job all around. I thought the run blocking, considering who they were playing, I thought it held up well. They had their struggles running between the tackles. But again, this is a really stout defensive line led by Fletcher Cox, so give a lot of credit to that front line for playing really well in this football game, considering the opponent. Again, Philadelphia is just, they got a really good defense. Their problem right now, they just can't do anything on offense, and Carson Wentz looks lost out there. I'm not sure what's going on. Missing receivers certainly is hurting his cause, but does not look like the player he was two years ago when he was an MVP candidate before tearing his ACL. It's just been a really tough year for him after getting a new contract and Philadelphia's offense just isn't soaring they're not flying this year make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL if you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked on Seahawks podcast you can contact me lockseahawks at gmail.com make sure to subscribe to our show iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting us lockedonseahawks.com when we come back on Tuesday, Rob Rang will be rejoining me. It'll be our weekly throwback Tuesday segment, looking at some former Seahawks that also starred for the Vikings. There's a Hall of Famer we'll be talking about. I'm really fired up about that. And we'll look at some defensive takeaways, and there's a bunch of them from Seattle's win in Philadelphia. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks!